Hi, everyone, and welcome to What Would My Shrink Say, a podcast where you get inside the heads of a couple psychologists and see life through their eyes. You'll never be the same. All right. Our guest for today is an author of a book called How to Stop Feeling So Damn Depressed, The No BS Guide for Men. It's by Jonas Horowitz. Am I pronouncing your name right? Yep. I sure hope so. <laughs> uh, recently, uh, Nick and I were able to read your book, uh, Dr. Horowitz, and, and uh, really enjoyed it. Um, but maybe right off the bat, you could tell us a little bit about yourself and um, what, what made you think of doing this book. The idea for the book started when I was uh, in grad school uh, about 25 years ago. Um, I was working in what's called the Mood Disorder Institute. This is a place where they were testing uh, new antidepressants. And my job um, as a grad student was to rate um, the depression level of the uh, people coming in. Problem is they were having trouble getting um, people coming in. This is in Richmond, Virginia. And so they came up with this idea of putting an advertisement on the back of the city buses, uh, which worked. And so a lot of guys would see these, um, basically one of these ads that said the possibility of getting some medication for your depression and coming to this institute where I was working. And so I'm, I'm talking to these men. And um, what really struck me at the time was that talking to these men and they had no idea what they were going through. These guys were often terribly depressed, um, feeling awful. And then I'd spend the rest of my day taking classes. And what, it, what occurred to me was that the information I was learning in the classes, it was real. And the problem is it wasn't filtering down into a way that uh, these men, I'm assuming men throughout the country, uh, were either getting or would make sense to them. Basically, uh, the academic model was not really penetrating into the, into the clinical market is how it came across to me. And so I thought there's a need um, to make a short self-help book for men who are wrestling with awful depression. Uh, there's plenty of great uh, books out there on depression. The problem, quite frankly, is many of them are just too damn long. And and because one of the primary symptoms of a severe depression is that it impairs a person's ability to concentrate and focus, um, they look at those big books. I've often in my office tried to hand somebody one of these large books, and they say, oh, that looks great, and I could just tell they're never going to look at it. And so I, I, just, I wanted to make something small and, and something very direct. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I thought the book was really well done. It really covers a lot of information and, and was pretty informative, I thought. Um, so it looks like you succeeded in your goal there. And, and you're a clinician primarily, is that right? Yeah. So I'm a full-time private practice in uh, Durham, North Carolina. And um, I see a wide range of people. I see primarily men now. I do men's groups. Um, and, and men of different stages of, of their life. Um, a lot of folks depressed, but also a lot of other uh, other things as well, of course. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's that's the work I currently do. And One of the interesting things about the uh, the book, I thought, was that um, y- you really try to uh, almost externalize uh, depression as as a, as a different kind of entity. You 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 nickname it kind of the beast in your book. Um, and you describe how this beast kind of follows men around and, and, and actually kind of coaches them to do the, the thing that's going to make their depression even worse. Um, as I read that, I thought, oh, this is really interesting because men often like a challenge. They like that, kind right. of, um, you know, having that dragon to slay in, in their kingdom. And, and I wondered if that was purposeful. Right. That's a, that's a nice way of putting it. The, 
um, as a clinician, as a therapist, and um, I'm always struck by when I'm listening to somebody wrestling with their mood that and working with them week after week and, you know, as months go on and get a feel for their life, oftentimes people will try to take care of themselves in a way that makes sense to them at the moment, such as a person feels lousy, so I might as well go have a drink, right, or have more than one drink, go get drunk, blow off some steam, um, or to um, – um, there's a whole, a whole host of other ways that people try to take care of themselves, but I call these escape, these are the escape behaviors. These sort of numbing behaviors seem to actually make their underlying depression much, much worse. And so what I was really interested in, in the book was talking about, can a person, how vital it is for them to separate themselves out from their depression? Because you take a, a depressed man, this is true of women as well, uh, when they've been feeling lousy for a long time, they will often say, this is just who I am. This is, this is, how things are and yet if you can get a person to separate themselves say okay i'm terribly depressed and now see it as i call it the beast and then then as a clinician we could talk about what energies or what things does this beast like thing have you doing to make itself stronger and conversely and even more importantly what things can you do as the patient as the client to take energy away from the beast and it's a really interesting way of working with somebody, um, most specifically because it, it helps somebody to do a lot of work when they're not in the actual office. This is a question that I'm really, as, that's really as a therapist, I'm trying to think, how can I help a person when they're not with me, when they're you know, by themselves, and they could actually think of a way, oh my gosh, is this going to feed my beast, or is this possibly something I could do to take some energy away from my beast? That's, that's I, lo I love how idea. I love how simple that is, Jonas. Like it's right. a very um, graphic, specific, easy thing to kind of remember. And, and like you pointed out, people with severe depression often have a hard time with things like memory, concentration, um, and when they're overwhelmed with negative mood states. I, I think it's it's really great that you really focused on being super specific and concrete and giving someone um, this really tangible thing to remember in those difficult moments when you're not there and someone else isn't there with them to help them through it. Nick, that, that's a really good point. The other thing which is interesting is that uh, us as psychologists, sometimes when we get caught up in questions about uh, causation or, or etiology, what, what causes a, a disorder like depression? And, but as a therapist, my real issue that I'm thinking about is what can I do to help the person? Um, those questions of what, what caused something are really, really important, but quite frankly, to the person going through it, um, especially when they're feeling that utter despair, that awful um, sense of just wanting to basically die because they feel so bad, the really issue is what can they do now to help themselves feel better? And so uh, that's where I really move in terms of the, uh, my writing as well as my work, is what can I do to help somebody now uh, to help them move out of this horrific state they're in? I think that's a great, I, I often think a, an underappreciated idea in, in all of mental health, but um, certainly depression or anxiety, to, I do a lot of anxiety work, right. is, is the, the cause is important, what causes your depression. Um, but it, sometimes an equally important question is what's maintaining your depression? Right. Exactly um, right. right. And oftentimes that's a much more practical, doable thing you, you can get a handle on. Um, and of course, it's important to address the causes at some point. Um, yeah, I, I, I love that. And so I love the, the way you get at that so visually and concretely, because what maintains your depression, that's pretty abstract. But if you think about the beast and what feeds the beast, 
that's a great way to really bring that home. So I absolutely love that. The other is that, you know, the old uh, second dynamic point of view, of course, is anger turned inward for depression. And then the, that could be certainly debated, but it's, what's interesting is that when you have somebody and you're working with them, they sort of buy into this idea. Let me separate myself out from my depression and they name it and if, you know, whatever name they choose, then they can take their anger and direct it at the beast. This is, this thing is trying to hurt me, right? Mm-hmm. Especially and that aggressive energy can be used in a really much more positive way. It's really interesting to think about taking the energy and the directing away from himself. Well, and the book really nicely kind of covers different areas of someone's life and says, you know, really, really kind of gives a nice kind of guided look at these contexts of someone's life and, and how the beast or how depression kind of functions to detract from each of those contexts. And so if you're addressing those and taking energy away from the beast, you're also addressing um, patterns and habits in your life that are probably contributing or maybe even causing your depression. So you do get to the causes. It's just in a very um, uh, easy way for, I think, men to kind of grasp and and understand. And and so you do address some causes. Um, It's just outlined in this nice way where you're kind of battling that um, depression beast, I guess. The, it's a, one of the ways that I think about it is um, is that people will encounter uh, stress, sometimes really, really bad stress. And the question is, how do they, of course, respond to that stress? Uh, for example, um, uh, the stress at work. And the question is, are they going to go to the bar and say, man, I had a horrible week? And, and not just have a drink or two, but they're going to end up getting drunk, which is then going to um, cause all sorts of problems in their uh, their relationships at home, uh, back at work. Uh, it's going to make them feel off on their body. There's going to be this sort of rebound effect where all their symptoms of depression get worse. So what I'm really curious about is um, it's not so much that you have somebody says, oh, I'm, I just have depression. It seems to be the way they respond to their stressful events uh, because other people go through some of the same stressful events and they'll respond differently and they're not ending up in a severe depression. And so that, right. that's, of course, what captures my imagination. Yeah. Mm. That's a really good point. It's a real, and and, and uh, a track that um, Nick and I often take with, with clients is kind of just living a more assertive life in general. Right. Right. Um, and towards the end of your book, you definitely talk about assertiveness and, and, and kind of pursuing those things that, that would, would make your life more meaningful or, or more enjoyable. The uh, issue, you know, this is, uh, of course, you know, we, has been along in psychology, but with assertiveness seems to be one of the most direct ways um, where people can take energy away from their beast. And the problem though, is that when uh, the word assertiveness, people think of that as, as aggressiveness and it's not the same thing. Um, what I was, what I'm curious about is that the, uh, again, that sort of metaphor of the beast, when it says, um, take a man and here's just a classic example. Somebody says, I don't feel respected. And the, and, that, and the beast is what, in my mind, it's putting this big word respect the problem is the word is too big. It's too vague. And, and, and that doesn't actually help the person get respect. Um, what would help them is if they could break that word down into very tangible stuff. What does that mean when your boss doesn't respect you? In the book, I talk about, I give an example of, well, he doesn't come by my desk to say hello in the morning. And then the person feels disrespected. And then the question is, if he just goes up to his boss and say, you, you don't respect me, damn it. That's not going to accomplish anything. But if he goes up to his boss and says, hey, I'd appreciate it if you come by and, and, you know, check in with me in the morning. That very specific thing, literally, if you come by my desk, checks in, that really helps me uh, organize my day. 
in, the, in that situation, if he could actually say exactly what he wants there, which is the boss to literally walk over, come to his desk, right? He's now operationalized his goal, and that makes it much more doable. Um, the person will then feel much more, oh, what's the word, they're efficacious in the world. They'll, they'll feel much more like, oh man, I'm, I'm a person to ask for what I want. And that's a, a lot of the work I do uh, with people when they're in a state of depression is help them to break down exactly what they want and then what is holding them back to actually asking for it. And here's, here's, the, here's the, the catch though. It doesn't actually matter if they get it. Is people actually will start feeling much less depressed when they hear themselves asking for what they want. If they get it, that's great. But they, they'll, get, they'll get the improvement in terms of their mood, tremendous improvement in terms of mood, if they simply ask for it. And that, that's, it fascinates me how that, how that works like that. Yeah. Yeah, Dr. Wigner likes to talk about, um, what is it you said, Nick, that uh, even if you don't get it, asking for it is it, just being an act of assertiveness on its own kind of reinforces the idea that what you want is important. Isn't that what you... Yeah, I, I sort of think about, we, we talk about assertiveness in terms of communication a lot, but but to me, the broader context of assertiveness is it means you're clear on what's really important to you in the long term, you know, your values and you're willing to at least try and go after that. And, and Jonas, like you say, I think a, there, a tremendous amount of self-respect and confidence and self-efficacy comes out of just being willing to do that, like you say, regardless of the outcome. Um, and, and it makes the whole... It, it makes your way of being in the world much more about going after what you want rather than trying to kind of avoid what feels bad or what you don't want. Mm -hmm. Right. And then especially we can make it specific, right? One way that I do like to think about depression is, you know, it's a, the evolutionary psychologists seem to be right. It, it is the basic response to feeling defeated. And, and then, but when we're in, in that horrible depressed state, we feel globally defeated. Right. And the question now is, can we actually take that global feeling and make it into a specific thing that this is what I would like in this exact situation? And I'm not talking about, oh, I'd like to win the lottery. Uh, I'm talking about something actually matters much more is this is what I would like for my partner in terms of um, they, don't, they don't help out around the house or they're making me, uh, they're not working. I'm the only one working here uh, and, and so on and so forth. Can you actually turn your... Uh, those big words into a specific set of, of, of um, behaviors and then what holds you back from asking for those very specific behaviors. Then anyway, that's, it does seem to help when people move towards that. Yeah. So, I, I love how I, your, your book reflects that just in the, in the language you use in the book, it's very specific. It's very graphic. It's very visual even a lot of times. And so I think just re you can't help but read the book and start to think about depression in much more, kind of specific micro terms, not this big shadowy thing that you can't get your arms around. The um, people um, often have this idea, when you know, pick up from TV and everything else, they'll say, well, I'm just depressed. I'm just, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. I've, inher these are my, you know, the, I've inherited this or it's my way my brain is wired. And what I, what I really think about it, I'm not here to debate that. What I'm really thinking about is even if that's true, what can you actually do now to feel a little less depressed? But as, and then as soon as we, get, we start going a little less, we're going to end up with a lot less. The question is, can we orient them to actually start taking action towards those smaller steps? Yeah. It, it, it is fascinating, yeah. Maybe. Does, sorry, go ahead, Nick. No, go for it. Uh, that is interesting. It seems like a lot of my patients with depression um, struggle to see this apart from their identity. 
that yes. that really trying to show them that right. depression is a set of of behaviors and feelings and, and cognitions, not an identity, is often a challenge. And, and I liked your metaphor for the beast because it lends itself so well to kind of helping externalize or, or at least making this a um, a tangible problem rather than this kind of identity issue um, that that seems so hopeless for many people. The um, right. So those 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 men, those patients that say this is just who I am, this is just how it is, right? Everything sucks for me. I've, mm-hmm. I've always been this way. If you really start, when I'm working with them, I'm sure you say the exact same thing. When you really start trying to get them to talk about what's happening between you and the other in your life, and the other would be the boss, supervisor. Um, if they have, a, if they're in a relationship, if they're not in a relationship, if they have a friend, if they don't have a friend, what's happening in that exact space? Uh, you're going to, uh, one sees a set of, um, you know, maladaptive coping, basically. Mm-hmm. They don't, they don't, they're not asking for what they exactly would like. For example, here's a, here's a classic example. Uh, I'm, uh, nobody ever calls me. It's something we often hear in the office, right? I'm the only one who will call friends. Nobody ever calls me. Right. Right. And it's like, okay, what, what do you really want? I want, I want to, I want to go out bowling on Friday. Well, but nobody, nobody called me, and I'm sick of calling everybody. Okay, problem is that even though you're sick of it, is that going to get you what you want? Right. Is that is that going to get you bowling? And so, you know, we're really trying to explore what it is that's, um, in essence, their coping is not getting what they actually want. And then, so what I'm trying to do is get them to look at what are they doing in the world. You know, we, you, as psychologists, we use these words like coping styles and all this. But basically, how are they interacting with the world? And is there a way of interacting getting actually the thing they want? Right. Because if we can introduce a different way and a different for them, behaviors for them to do, they will then often feel much more better about the whole world. And, the, and quite often, the bigger uh, social circles they're in will, does, do respond to that quite quickly. Not always, mm-hmm. but often they do. Yeah. Jonas, I've got a question for you. We, I mean, we've got a lot of people in the audience who uh, maybe are not depressed themselves, but, but know people and have people who right. are close to them who are really depressed. So I, I had a couple of questions kind of from that angle. The first being, what do you think, what's, you know, the, the one thing that really springs to mind when you, when you think about what people misunderstand about depression, not necessarily people who are, who are even depressed, but just in the general public, like what do we, as a culture, what do we get wrong about depression that, that's getting in the way of people getting the help they need? Well, it's, it's a great question. There's two things that come to my mind immediately. The first is that um, there's a terrible stigma about mental illness and depression in general. Um, this is this stigma is generated by both men and women, um, but the idea is that people can just snap out of it, that it's something people choose to be in, and if they only decided to be happy, they could be happy. Um, there's beautiful songs that we all sing to that, you know, don't worry, be happy. Those are great songs, but the, the reality is that when we're talking about severe depression, it's this uh, emotional, behavioral, cognitive syndrome um, that overwhelms a person's life, and it's not something they can just snap out of. Or, or another way of explaining it is that one way of thinking about severe depression is that when you have somebody who's terribly depressed, they are in tremendous pain. That's all you have to remember. They're in pain, horrible pain. And um, the pain is uh, they're, they're experiencing it in their body, their aches and pains, their back hurts often, stomach's all screwed up, they're not sleeping, they're sleeping too much, they're having trouble thinking. Uh, their emotional life is awful, and they're barely hanging on. So, the, so when I think about it, I think about somebody who's in pain, and I, you know, and 
for others, if it's easier, just think about somebody who's medically, if they're having a medical problem, they're in pain, it often helps us to see them a little bit differently than, than if we say, oh, they're just choosing to, to do this. Um, so yeah, those, those are the first two things. But the part of that, that question is obviously is, well, what can somebody who loves somebody who's depressed do? That was my follow-up question. Right. That is always, <laughs> <laughs> that's the great question. Um, I know, um, so my, so a book like my, you know, my, my, my self-help book, I know there's a lot of people uh, who are buying it for spouses or people they care about or their, or their parents or cousins. Uh, and then one thing I've, I've heard from some people is, uh, oh yeah, they bought it for the husband and it's just laying there. The husband won't look at it. What has occurred to me is that, and, I, and, I, and I'm saying this quite seriously, is that I would love, if it really helps me as a psychologist, if someone who's currently wrestling with depression would look at, pick up the book and read it with a critical eye. What I mean by that is they would read it and they would say, you know, some of this applies to me, some of it's crap, but some of it, oh man, that's a good idea. And quite frankly, if they approach it as a critic and if they, and if they ever had the word, you know, the thought to send me an email, I'm easy to find on the web. I would love to hear their thoughts. But I, I, I say this because yes, I'm, this is a different way um, perhaps get somebody who's really wrestling with it to see that uh, we, even though they're, they're feeling awful, it's exactly, I need them feeling awful to take a look at this book, to give me the feedback because potentially uh, you know, as we do revisions of this book, we can understand even how to help more people. And that, 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 so that's one way I'm not trying to sneak it in somebody's mind, but I am, I'm, I, I, it is helpful when somebody who's actually feeling awful, uh, take a look at a book like this and say whether, whether it works or not or which parts work and which parts don't work. Yeah. Have you gotten some of that feedback? I have. I've gotten some um, parents give it to their teenagers. They told me which parts, uh, you know, teenagers can be, they're the height of criticism. <laughs> and some, you know, they, uh, you know, some of it's 90%, they tell, you know, they feel like it's bullshit. That's okay. Um, and then 10% they say, this really worked for them. And then, um, and then I've also had, um, yeah, I've actually gotten uh, several people tell me they really like that idea. It's like approach it as a critic. And this is not, you know, the book is not perfect. And there's all, you know, uh, severe depression is an awful, God awful thing. It kills people basically. And we need everyone who, or at least anybody to be interested in contributing their thoughts on it. And this is a, this is a way to help contribute your thoughts on how we can help people. Well, and, and it, I mean, the book does a great job of really kind of outlining, outlining some, some, I, I, I guess you could call more complicated principles of CBT in a very kind of straightforward, easy to manage way. Um, you, you know, coaching and, and helping people right. understand how their thoughts are related to their behaviors and emotions and um, how their basic diet and right. um, exercise program and all of these things contribute maybe to this very painful um, condition they find themselves in. So I, I right. thought it was a really good uh, presentation of really well-researched and documented um principles of psychology that will help people feel better if they're struggling with depression. Well, thank you, Dad. I appreciate that. Sure. I, I really thought it was a great book. And, and um, I guess one uh, maybe follow-up question that I would have is uh, given your uh, clinical expertise in this area and treating people for as long as you have, um, what, what maybe one or two bullet points would you really want to kind of communicate to our listeners out there um, other than kind of, you know, people who with, with depression are definitely in pain? Um, what can we do to kind of really help address the problem of depression? Um, 
Well, if I was if I was speaking specifically to someone who's wrestling with depression, there's one primary thought that I would want them to say to themselves every day, which is very very specific. It's that each day they would say to themselves, exactly what am I going to do today to take some energy away from my beast? Right. Underline the word some, and what and the and the word today, not tomorrow. Not next week, but what am I going to do today to take some energy away from my own beast? And you can call it, you can call the beast whatever you want, but that, that part of you that, that's awful, that feels bad, what are you going to do to take some energy away from that today? It could be you may be going seeing your shrink. You may be going for a walk in the sun. You may be um, trying to turn the TV off earlier and going to sleep a little bit earlier. Um, you may decide not to go um, to have the extra drinks tonight, whatever it is. What are you going to do today to take some energy away from that? And that's that's the fundamental thing that I think is um, is the key to moving out of uh, the syndrome. I mean, it's interesting to write a whole book, but it actually comes down to that. What are you going to do today to tell yourself and to, um, to take some energy away from your own beast? So mm-hmm. it's that simple, quite frankly. Yeah. Well put. Yeah. I love it. it that, that's sort of the whole thing in a nutshell, right? It's, it's externalizing depression. It's empowering yourself to do something. It's breaking it down into a small manageable piece. It's confidence building. Right. Perfect. Right. That's it. Yeah. Well, uh, Jonas, why don't you tell um, maybe our listeners um, how they can contact you? And uh, again, if you're interested, uh, the book is called How to Stop Feeling So Damn Depressed, The No BS Guide for Men. And Jonas, how would people contact you? Um, I am um, easy to find on the web, um, so it's just jonashorwitz.com, um, and that's my website. Um, the book is easy to find off Amazon or Barnes and & Nobles, um, and I think it's in quite a few independent bookstores, um, but it's easy just to get it off Amazon as well. Um, and yeah, so they, if anybody ever is interested in sending me an email, even just about their thoughts about depression, I'm always interested. I do try to reply. Um, I think it's really an important uh, conversation to be having. Um, and I, I appreciate uh, that, uh, that, that you guys are uh, had me on your show, quite frankly. Oh, well, you for glad to have you. Hey, everyone. Nick and I really appreciate you listening to the podcast. Please rate us on iTunes if you get a chance. And if you have any feedback or comments for us, that'd be great as well. And if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to cover in the podcast, let us know in the comment section as well. Thanks.